When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of the ACC Now podcast. I am C.L. Brown, News and Observer, UNC beat writer, and today we have a special guest with football's national championship game concluding uh, last night. We have with us the CEO of the Fiesta Bowl, Mr. Eric Moses, and he's special for this area because not only did he go to undergrad at the University of North Carolina, he has his law degree from Duke, which uh, which I will ask you about <laughs> a little bit later where your uh, allegiance lies. But welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Always good to be with you. Yeah, so I, I wanted to first kind of just jump into to your background. Um, uh, when did you first start gravitating towards uh, a career in sports really very early on I was always a kid that played sports but but more importantly as I got older kind of high school age and and beyond was was very interested in the business of sports and understanding uh, how deals got done you know whether that was a, a collective bargaining agreement between a league and its players or whether that was a endorsement deal between an athlete and a, and a company uh, or a media rights deal between a, a league or a conference or a team uh, and a media company. And so those things were always really interesting to me. And so um, at Carolina, as you as you know, uh, had the privilege of, of getting to know, befriending many athletes, men and women, who later ended up making a living uh, through their athletic prowess and uh, in the professional ranks. And I remember thinking that, you know, such a unique opportunity to be able to play Know, a kid's game and make make a really good living at it and that so few people have that opportunity um but so many of the folks that that have that opportunity have been taken advantage of by unscrupulous advisors lawyers accountants um you know business managers etc and i wanted to uh to become an agent so that i could protect my friends and people like them so that they would have every opportunity to take advantage of their unique set of skills uh, which would allow them to to make uh, really really good money sometimes for a very short period of time usually, and so uh, that that was how I originally intended uh, to get into to sports entertainment. Yeah, what what do you think? Uh, so you graduated undergrad ninety three, and um, obviously nil was <laughs> was not in existence back then. But what what do you feel like? Um, what do you feel? How do you feel like that's changed where we're going you know with college sports moving forward how 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 big of a landscape change do you feel like that's been well i think right now and it's in its nascency i think it's um it's a, a huge kind of cultural shift um largely because the rules and policies around it aren't either well understood um well crafted or well enforced uh, at the moment. And, and I think that's part of kind of, you know, 
schools, institutions, players, advisors, et cetera, companies, um, just adjusting to what really amounts to a very huge kind of shift in, in, in what's allowable for players in terms of being able to take advantage of, uh, of their name, image, and likeness and, and their, you know, their fame, frankly, for, for being involved in, in these sports, usually in, in revenue generating sports, but also we're seeing it thankfully in some of the Olympic sports as well. Um, you know, my, my personal opinion is that the old saying that, you know, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. Um, I think for a very long time, the NCAA, um, you know, they were, they were hoggish, right? They, they, they did things that I thought did not necessarily, um, make the most sense in terms of the long-term growth, uh, and development of the sport and the fairness of recognizing the unique opportunity that these young men and women have treating them in as much as we can like any other students or or frankly any other you know people in the in a, in a capitalist system in society where, where you're able to uh to benefit to directly benefit and profit from from your your skills capabilities and talents and so i think what we're seeing now is the pendulum swinging back uh very far in the in, in the other direction and what i hope is that we will end up in a place that is much more tenable, you know, that allows uh, student athletes to have an opportunity to make some money and to leverage their brands, uh, but will also uh, come with some guidelines that people can understand and that we can enforce. And so it's not the Wild West. So we don't have these, you know, collectives and others uh, offering NIL deals to, to, to students to come to their school, which really in some cases, not all, but in some cases I know amounts to, to an inducement. Uh, to get players to move from one program to another or to come to one program. And I just think not, not that that's not something that would happen in a, in a, in a capitalist society, but um, I think that can tear at the seams of uh, intercollegiate athletics in a way that, that might do way, way, way more harm than good. Well, let me let me stop there um, to to give a full disclosure to the listeners out there. I've known Eric, for uh, basically 30 years now um, in undergrad. And to let to let you guys in on a secret, we call this man the thinker. <laughs> so sometimes I just ask him stuff just to see what perspective he has because he's always been uh, two steps ahead or at least being able to see a different viewpoint than I think a lot of times, you know, uh, a lot of times there's an obvious entry point into where people start these discussions and Eric has always been somebody who gives you something else to think about on top of that. So um, I, I wanted to ask about the transition specifically in, in becoming the CEO of the Fiesta Bowl uh, coming from NASCAR and uh, running the, the Speedway in Nashville for the past, was that two years? Yeah, two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what has that transition been like for you? Uh, so far, so good. I, I will tell you that uh, the most difficult part of this has been leaving the community that I was, uh, you know, fortunate enough to be able to build in Nashville in a short period of time. Nashville and NASCAR embraced me in a way that I could have only dreamed of, uh, and I and I feel so grateful to so many people for for opening their arms and their and their hearts to me, frankly. Um, and inviting me into that sport and into that city uh, and market. And so that, that's that been the most difficult part. Um, getting to know uh, college football 
in, in a more intimate way. I mean, as you may recall, I mean, I helped uh, found the Military Bowl, which is long on its 15th year uh, that's held uh, every year and um, and uh, in the Washington, D.C. market up in Annapolis at Navy Stadium. Uh, and so I'm familiar with the process and familiar with bowl games, obviously familiar with college football and, and professional football. Um, so that part hasn't been hasn't been all that tough. But understanding the changing landscape of, of college athletics and of college football in particular as the main driver of that, because it's the main revenue uh, driver, uh, is something that you know I'm spending a lot of time kind of getting up to speed on. Uh, but uh, you know I have every reason to believe thus far uh, that Phoenix will be as welcoming a place as Nashville was for me, um, and so far so good in terms of in terms of the industry here and and, and people kind of extending themselves to me. No doubt. Um... And also, you know, your football background also extends to uh, the DC. There was the DC Assault, right? That was the name of the franchise. DC Assault is an AAU basketball team. It was the DC, (laughs) the DC Defenders, uh, and the Defenders. My fault. Yeah, yeah. My my mind generally always comes back to basketball. The DC Defenders. (laughs) Um, That that project, you know, ended up being being scrapped before really totally got off you know off and running but is there anything you took from that experience you know uh from a football perspective that you know you feel like will help benefit you now i mean you know with most industries and and sports in particular you know in some ways it's really um it's really just about relationships right and so it's funny I just saw Oliver Luck, who was the commissioner of the XFL in the in the lobby uh, of this hotel a few minutes ago, and and he's already you know connected me with some people in Phoenix that he knows and, and others that he knows, given his history in, in in college athletics, having been the AD at West Virginia and having worked for the NCAA. I mean, so so leveraging those relationships, those football relationships, has been good for me. You know, the the pro game and the college game are different, and in my very humble opinion, need to remain different and distinct uh, in order to make certain that we do not lose that magic around college football and around college sports that makes it different. I don't want uh, college football to be NFL light. I want it to be college football that drives the affinity that we have for it, the pageantry and, and all of the, the opportunities for education and enrichment that these student athletes have in the classroom, on the field, and also out in the world as a result of being participants uh, in, in, this, uh, in this endeavor that we call college sports. Yeah, well, speaking of the pageantry of of college football, I mean, uh, you guys had one of the best games of of bowl season period with TCU and Michigan uh, playing in that Fiesta Bowl. Very very entertaining game. Um, I I didn't start watching that beginning, and it, honestly, I thought Michigan was gonna was gonna run away with it. And then I got a text from a buddy, "Are you watching this?" And uh, and then that's when I tuned in for it, but. What what was your take from, you know, uh, basically putting that together from the ground up? And um, I, I want to get into the position of the Fiesta Bowl and and all bowls in general in terms of fitting in with the playoff because it, on one hand, it it almost takes it it puts the bowl as on a secondary level. Like people are thinking of the playoffs not necessarily thinking of the Fiesta Bowl or the Orange Bowl or wherever, you know, the semifinals are being played and, and the championship game. So um, if you could just, you know, kind of take me through that. So, um, 
going back to what I was uh, just saying about maintaining kind of the the, the distinctness of college football. Um, I don't think many of us can think about college football and all of the you know the the memories and the and the emotion and the feelings that we have about college football without thinking about the bowl system, right? Um, uh, it is a quintessential part of college football, and uh, and right now I think we have about forty two bowls in total. Um, the Fiesta Bowl is is part of what is called the New Year Six Bowls, which is made up of the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, uh, the Fiesta Bowl the Orange Bowl, the Peach Bowl, um, and the Cotton Bowl, right? So many of the oldest that, that the country has known with the Rose Bowl being the granddaddy of them all. Um, and, and there's a rotation amongst the six of us to host currently what are those semifinals, those two games before the national championship game, uh, one which we got to host this year. Um, in the expanded format from four teams to 12 teams, there will be first-round games, quarterfinal games and then semifinal games and the national championship game as I understand it will continue to, to operate that it do, the way it does now which is essentially almost goes out for bid like a Super Bowl or an all-star game would right to cities that want to host something like that so presently my understanding is that the quarterfinals and the semifinals uh, will be shared by the Bulls and hosted by by the Bulls the New Year's Six Bulls right now the first round games will be held on campuses uh, and so that's a that's a difference uh, that that you would have here. If you if you think about March Madness and the NCAA on the basketball side, you know most of those games are set up to be held on neutral sites, right? Not not at anyone's home court, but on, on neutral sites uh, because of what that does to build an environment that we hope is festive but also fair, um, so that teams all have a have have an opportunity to uh, even the lower seed teams have an opportunity to come in and, and perform their best and sometimes win, you know, and create that excitement that comes from college sports. Um, you know, a lot of that is still up in the air. A lot of that is still being kind of decided for 2026 and beyond uh, when the new media uh, rights deal is is, is extended. Um, I think we can't get rid of the bowls. I think the neutral site of the bowls, I think in what I've seen in the short period of time, the month or so that I've been uh, on the job here with the, with the Fiesta Bowl is that these bowl games are literally community assets. You know, we have, I've probably got 30 board members, 130 Yellow Jackets on our Yellow Jacket committee who are, you know, kind of, uh, you know, exalted uh, volunteers who raise money, who sell tickets, who leverage their networks, their knowledge, their connections um, in order to benefit the bowl. Um, and then another probably, you know, 2,000 plus volunteers that help to make the game both the Fiesta Bowl, the Verbal Fiesta Bowl, and a Guaranteed Rate Bowl to make those things successful. It's a whole community coming together to support these things, to to say to to those teams that are traveling, their fans, alumni, and others, we're welcoming you into the Valley and uh, into Phoenix and the Phoenix area. We want to put on display uh, our communities and, and what they can do. And then as a result of those games and the dollars raised from those games, we're able to provide direct financial uh, you know assistance to loads and loads of nonprofits throughout the valley here, you know, helping to build, uh, you know, uh, fields and 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 to give money that gave over a million dollars to teachers this past year. I mean, there is a direct line of correlation between the good that is done in our communities and these teams, their fans, alumni, and ticket buyers coming into our communities and going into and attending these games. That's something that you get as directly on the pro level. And I think that's worth preserving. 
you know, um, and the bowls give an opportunity to do that. Doing that on on a college campus and different places, I mean, I guess you could create that, but why recreate the wheel when you already have something that's working so well? Yeah. Uh, when you say that, I, you know, I went out with, with Carolina um, in the Holiday Bowl, and that was my first time being out there for that. And I, I would say the way that San Diego embraced it, I, I was surprised by it because it was a lot more community involvement than, than I anticipated. And because I've seen both, I'm not going to name names, but I've, I've been to bowl games where it's just kind of like this game is happening. Uh, you could ask somebody out the street right outside the stadium and they wouldn't know who's playing or what's going on, you know, um, and it, and it just seems like it's there to be there um, without putting you on the spot to say whether we should continue with the same amount of bowls. Do you anticipate once the 12 team playoffs comes on that we might see, you know, uh, a Darwinism of sorts with bowl games where some of those extra games may be cut back. We might not be, you know, extending into the forties with, with as many bowl games. You know, it's a great question. Um, and, and I think, uh, uh, a legitimate question, um, you know, I've read some articles and, and, and seen some conversation where people have questioned the wisdom of having, you know, very many six and six teams and sometimes recently five and seven teams, uh, be able to compete for a postseason a uh, bowl game. Um, because we have, you know, sometimes there, there aren't enough teams with winning records or with 500 records in order to supply the bowls, the, the two teams that, that, that they all need. So you figure if there's 42 bowl games that 84, 84 teams you need to compete in all of those. Um, that's a lot. Um, I do think that, you know, having been involved in the bowl game that, that drew teams that, uh, generally had, you know, decent or okay seasons, but not super successful seasons that putting a capstone in the season for the student athletes, for the, for their fans, alumni, for the team, being able to give younger players an opportunity to play uh, in a game on a big stage, but not one that necessarily will have some bearing on whether or not you win your conference or, you know, uh, uh, are able to, to play for a national championship or something like that. There is some value in that. I, I recognize that. And, and I always harp on the fact that anything that these student athletes get to do is part of the enrichment that they receive from being students, right? And, and from participating in these programs. So, um, so I think there's a value to it. I do worry as a fan and now someone who is involved in this, I worry about dilution of the product. I worry about if there are games on from, you know, early December to early January. And every time I turn my television on, there's another bowl game being played. Does that start to diminish the value that we place on bowls? I mean, let, 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 lest we forget, you know, the biggest game in football, the Super Bowl, is it took took that name from college, right? It took the whole bowl thing came from college, right? Yeah. And so, so it is meant to connote that this is a really big deal. Query whether, you know, teams that have not had very successful seasons playing each other in a postseason game is thought of by everyone as a big deal. And so I think we have to certainly figure out ways to continue to make those um, celebrations of college sports and of college football in particular. And and to your point about the experiences you've had to make certain that communities continue to treat them like a big deal and to embrace them 
in a way uh, that that communicates to the teams or fans and others who would make the trip um, and to support them that it is a big deal. Well, I, I um, this is kind of taking a detour here from from serious uh, <laughs> serious discussion to I came across the picture of the Fiesta Bowl trophy, and I also saw the price tag of it. $2.5 billion trophy. That That's a lot of pressure to me. Like, <laughs> did you pick that thing up for anything? Like, I would be scared to even be involved with something worth that much for fear because I can't cover it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is uh, highly insured, I can assure you. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, I stay away from it. Um, so it's not to clumsily knock it over or something like that. Um, I, you know, I've seen some speculation about the value of the trophy. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what that, you know, I've seen 1.4, I've seen 2.5, I've seen all kinds of stuff. I, I don't know exactly. I know that it's valuable. I know that it's beautiful. It's something that we cherish. Um, this game has been going on for, for more than 50 years, uh, which is pretty special. Um, and, and to the point that I was just making about these bowl games being a big deal, well, there is an investment of time, money, energy, and effort and goodwill that goes into creating these games and hosting these games year after year after year. And the investment that someone made at some point in the past uh, into that trophy as a manifestation of uh, the, the overall community investment in this game, I think, you know, underscores that point. This is a really big deal to these communities. And we want those who, who win our game, who, who, are, who are the champions of, of that game, to know that, that we think it's a, pretty, it's a pretty big deal and a momentous occasion. Yes, and and also staying, uh, taking you back to last April, when uh, on the basketball court when Carolina and Duke are facing off in that Final Four, what color were you wearing? I mean, is that is that a real question? I'm just uh, this is for the people. <laughs> you have other degrees. You have competing, uh, com potentially competing alliances here. I I. Uh... I am very thankful for my three years at Duke University School of Law. Uh, I feel deeply about that school, the experience that I had, the, 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 the friendships that I made there. I have been treated very well by Duke alum uh, throughout my career and embraced by them. And, and it is one of the premier uh, institutions of higher learning in the world. That said, uh, I am a lifelong Tar Heel, will always be, and will never have my allegiance to Carolina questioned. Uh, I will always be a Carolina fan. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't I don't have negative thoughts. I don't I don't wish bad things on on the Duke program, but when we are playing, you know I'm wearing I'm wearing Carolina blue and cheering for the heels. <laughs> you you sounded like uh some of the kids that entered a transfer portal <laughs> with the build up. With that being said, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I noticed that too. Yeah, we we had quite a few kids in the in the transfer portal on the football side this year, and I'm going, well, if you're saying all these great things about Carolina, why are you? <laughs> you know, so but who knows? Everybody's got to do what's best for them. That's that's the introduction of a whole another podcast, Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Hey, man, it's it's uh, been great having you on here. I, I appreciate your time. Um, and good luck to you with the Fiesta Bowl moving forward here after after getting this. I, I mean, I don't know how you top the experience that she just had in that semifinal game. That, that was uh, uh, seemed like a great game to be a part of. 
Yeah, no, I told somebody I ought to just ride off into the sunset right now because there's no way I'm going to be able to top, you know, average of 22 million viewers. We peaked at almost 27 million viewers. It was a great game back and forth when, with an unexpected uh, outcome and, and, and produced one of the two teams that will play t uh, for a national championship. Um, you know, we don't even have a playoff game next year. So, uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting, but, but we'll figure out a way to make certain that, uh, it's a big deal that, uh, people enjoy it. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned in a short period of time with this game is that, and it's something I think that the whole state of Arizona embraces, but in particular in the, in the, in the Valley, we are going to provide world-class hospitality to any and everybody that comes to our, to our state and comes to our, our region. And, and, and that really is the calling card of the verbal Fiesta Bowl and the Guaranteed Rate Bowl and everything that we do as the Fiesta Bowl organization in the Valley. Um, and you see it not only expressed in our staff, but also in our volunteers. Like people take pride in making certain that that, that hospitality that we show is world-class. And so um, we'll, we'll continue to do that regardless of whether we're hosting the playoff game or whether we're hosting uh, these two teams at the end of their season, looking to, uh, to, to have something else to build on going into the next season. Well said. Well, we thank you for joining the ACC Now podcast. Uh, I am C.L. Brown. This has been Eric Moses. If you uh, feel so inclined, please click on those uh, subscribe buttons to our podcast. We'll be coming out with another one again next week.